0: Hello everyone, it's your host Luke West back with another episode of Imperfect where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode we have Marcus Ogden. Marcus grew up in a single parent home with a father that inspired perseverance and fairness. Ogden attended Howard University from 1998 to 2002 where he played Division 1 football. Ogden then followed his dream and his brother Jonathan's footsteps, eventually getting drafted into the NFL in 2003. Overall, he played for 5 years as an offensive lineman with the Titans, Bills, Ravens, and Jaguars. Following his NFL career, Ogden started Caden Premier Enterprises, a construction company in 2007 which quickly escalated to being a multi-million dollar construction firm. The company had fast growth and in 2010, Marcus won the African American Subcontractor of the Year award in the state of Maryland. Eventually, his business went bankrupt, losing almost $2 million on one project in a matter of 90 days. During his darkest hours, he pulled himself together, got a part-time job as a custodian, and with the hard work and determination, became an inspirational keynote speaker and business leader. In this episode, we talk about a little bit about his NFL career, his father's death and that's impact on him, now the relationship he Has with his wife and two daughters, and growing up and being a leader in the way that he is today. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, let's just jump into it now. All right, Marcus, thank you so much for joining the Imperfect Podcast today. You know, the first question I always ask my guest is who is one person dead or alive that you would like to get dinner with and what would you make for them
1: (laughs) i would say that person would probably be and this is something you probably don't hear a lot colonel robert gould shaw who was the commanding officer of the 54th massachusetts infantry which was the first all-black regiment in the civil war and i would probably make for him some type of like, I don't know, barbecue chicken, fried chicken, something like that. It's kind of give a little bit of a down good home cooked meal. But uh, I respect him a lot because what he did, leaving a very wealthy family in Boston to go and be the colonel of an all black infantry in the, you know, in the 1860s, says a lot about his character and who he was as a person.
0: Wow. That's uh, that's i I've never heard that one. Never even would would have figured that one. To be honest, I don't know too much about my American history and whatnot, but I think that's a really cool answer.
1: Have you ever heard of a movie called Glory with, uh, it's, it's an old movie. has got Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. That's the story about him and his life. So that's kind of where I found him first back when I was younger.
0: Cool. I will write that movie down so that I can go watch that some other time. But Marcus, I always like to uh, have you kind of give a little bit of an intro about who you are, what you do. So why don't you go a bit more into that, and then we'll start some of the questions that you and I have discussed or some of the themes that you and I have discussed before.
1: Yeah. So my name is Marcus Ogden. I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm a former NFL athlete. Played for almost six years. My brother, Jonathan, played for 12 years with the Ravens, the Hall of Famer. After my NFL career, I struggled with transition, and I got into construction build a massive organization, and then lost it all in 90 days back in 2013. I had to file a bankruptcy, lost my home, my cars, everything was taken from me. And I rebranded myself after I was a custodian working the night shift in 2013, September to about March of 2014. And I became a keynote speaker, worked very hard, and I've been now keynote speaking loop for the last six years. I work for clients like the Home Depot, Axe advisors, Liberty Mutual Insurance, and I speak on many topics like leadership, professional development, how to own your story, you know, all that kind of great stuff.
0: And so when it came to your initial story going to the NFL, I know your father had a huge impact on your journey. I believe uh, we discussed you, it was a single father. And so Kind of how did that process get you to where you are today in terms of your success, in terms of both your life now, as well as your journey leading up to the NFL?
1: Well, what it taught me, Lucas, is about perseverance and consistency. My father raised us, you know, working really hard. He worked hard as he could. He got sick, unfortunately, with uh, from obesity, had a kidney failure, and that really put a damper on how he lived his life to, in his latter years. But He was just a man of perseverance, consistency, and he always told us, Luke, always, just show up. If you don't show up, you have a really hard chance to succeed for the long haul. If you're not showing up, you're not coming to the table to to win. So those are the things I took as far as in football, showing up to practice early, working hard on my craft, staying late, you know, getting with my coaches and working on my studies and same thing I had in education with the classroom and even in my job today as a speaker, like the first two and a half years, Luke, not one paid job. Not one. You talk about imperfection, imperfection. That's I mean, that's the master. I mean, like I kept going, but I was, I was on a quest, I thought, for perfection for speaking, but I was living an imperfect being because all I cared about was the money. That's all I cared about. When I started caring about people and value, that's when life got a lot better. So consistency, perseverance, but showing up have been huge for me and my business today.
0: And so in, in regards to the NFL, you know, I'm so I don't really watch a lot of NFL. I watch typically the Super Bowl, but I imagine it to be kind of like a lot of other sports. I'm a huge hockey fan, basketball fan. But when it came to the NFL culture, I've read books. I've read Terry Cruz's book called Manhood, where he talks about some of the struggles of being like, you know, an outsider or not fully committed to a team. You kind of transitioned a lot, I believe, in the NFL as well. You were on a couple, few different teams in your six-year span. What kind of mental challenges does that bring to the table? And talking about like being an athlete as a whole, from you know your daily regimen of of waking up, training to uh, succeeding, to then kind of the typical shorter lifespan that NFL stars or players typically have.
1: Well, again, when you're transitioning a lot, it really puts a weight on your mentality. Why am I not here? Why am I getting cut? Why am I getting traded? Why this? Why that? And it makes you start to doubt, like Terry Cruz said, are you any good? Is your manhood? And when you can't, when someone tells you that you're not good at your job and you get traded, or you get released, it does affect your psyche. It really does. And that's why I feel very rarely, if you ever watch football, when someone gets traded or released and goes to another team, maybe they get a huge contract, right? they usually aren't the same player a lot of time. Now you get a few rare cases of people who go somewhere and they ex- and they explode, but most of the time the guys end up regressing. And I think that's a lot to say that even though you're getting paid a money from somebody else, well, why didn't I work out with that team? Why didn't that team want to keep me and pay me? So that mentality can seep in like that. So it's really hard. Then as you're transitioning to new teams, it can be hard if you're a guy who other teams don't like because of your, your your bravado, how you played the game, which could be almost catastrophic trying to go to a new team. But for me, thank goodness, as an offensive lineman, it's a big team. It's a team within a team. So I didn't have that struggle. Like sometimes D linemen do, because sometimes it's more individual, Or running back, you know, you're trying to get a bunch of yards. As an old lineman, you don't really get judged off, you know, anything but other. Does the running back do good? Does the quarterback throw good? Is he upright? Are you giving up sacks? That's what it's really about. So I was very fortunate in that position.
0: So in regards to your NFL career and all the movement and transition that typically happens, do you find it to be more taxing on the mental or the physical part of your body or or your psyche?
1: Oh, the mental by far. Physical, you get up, go to a new team, put on pads, the workout, boom. The mental is hard. Again, why did they cut me? Why do they not want me? What's wrong with me? What is going on? Right? That's what it's all about.
0: And so in regards to kind of the the locker room or, you know, the bravado, what we see in the NBA is a lot of celebrating that kind of individuality. In the NFL, it seems to be a little bit more restrained still, much like it feels like with hockey. And so kind of what was your relationship with the NFL and, and you know the process or, or the brand that you were allowed to build for yourself, did you ever feel like that was a part of, of who you were throughout the entire journey?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always saw myself as an NFL athlete who represented a brand, the Shield, the National Football League. And that's what I did with my business. That's what I've done in my speaking. I'm a, I'm a national and international keynote speaker that used to be an NFL player. That's how I market myself, and I'm fine with that because the, the NFL taught me a lot of lessons about hard work, consistency, drive, perseverance that have gone into my speaking, and my coaching, my consulting business, which is exactly why I'm very blessed now. I have an amazing team that we're doing so well.
0: And I know when you came out of the NFL and and kind of did your transition to being a businessman, you know, we talked before about how there was a bit of. Uh, depression or mental health involved in that transition. And I, I just really want to kind of go into deeper talks about that as a whole, because I really think, you know, as mental health and depression and, and conversations about that become much more prominent in today's society, it's really good to have people that are like you who, who are open and vulnerable and, and op- willing to talk about it. So like kind of just Guide me through that process, and then I'll, I'll, I'll follow up with some questions uh, throughout that.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, man, when I left football, I, got, I was mentally depressed. I was anxious. I got you know, hooked on painkillers, alcohol, other narcotics, and it was, my, it was my outlet, and that's exactly what mental health is. Mental health is when you're struggling with issues, and you're not getting help to deal with the issues, and you're going and you're expressing yourself in other ways, and my way was the bottle pills and I'm very fortunate like I just saw an article I'm not gonna say whose name is one of my former teammates on the East Coast now arrested for a DUI and he had he's taken about 20 to 30 pills all at once trying to end his life and I know what that's like as far as the, the bottle not putting it down and I've done a lot of speaking around mental health clinics and conferences. So I'm very open about that. I saw where um, a player for the Ravens, Hayden Hurst who's a tight end talks about trying to kill himself in college by bottles and pills because it was too much pressure, too much stress trying to be that perfect athlete. There is no perfect anyone. Everybody has mistakes. If you can own them, fix them and move on, you have the best chance to succeed.
0: And so I'm really fascinated by how that all happens. Do you think that is a result of the pressure of the NFL, the pressure of the family, you know, to succeed or just the pressure of society to say, you know, you're a young black man who, you know, your, your one potential is, is the NFL or the NBA. And that's kind of like where they see a lot of their mentors. They don't really see people like you nowadays who have made something out of yourself beyond the NFL. You have a deeper brand. Like where do you think that pain comes from for them to outlet that?
1: everything starts with habits right and values values are what you believe in so if, if someone's being raised in a household where they value nfl nba fame fortune the young people in that house are going to create habits that reflect those values trying to be the best from the field provider all that type of stuff when you have a household that values education that young person's habits are going to be good in school Be respectful, be cognizant, be on time. So to me, it's all about the values have to be established early. And if the value system's not right or distorted, the habits will not ever be executed at the highest level because our habits are our values in motion. I value health and wealth and go to the gym. If you value fame and fortune and through sports, you're gonna always be sports, sports, sports. And if sports don't work out, you have no other outlet to go to.
0: You know, you talked a bit about accountability there as well, and we talked about this on on the phone. And so, I'm both impartial, or I, you know, I'm both pro accountability as well as you need help as well. And so, how do you think those two things are are intertwined?
1: Oh, absolutely. Be accountable for your actions that go on in your life. If you need help, be accountable to yourself and ask for help. So, being accountable doesn't mean do anything by yourself. It means Take ownership of your life and what needs to get done, and you do it. If you need help, be man enough or woman enough to ask for help so you can be accountable to what needs to be done. So it all works hand in hand. It's not about doing everything by yourself. It's about doing what you need to do and to take ownership of your life. If you need help, ask for help to get things accomplished.
0: And I know going kind of back to your father, he instilled a lot of these things in you. And one of the things I I saw in an interview that you did was how much he encouraged you and and grew you and, and told you to respect the women in your life. And I think that can sometimes be lost on young men regarding, even if they have a mother, even if they have a lot of women in their life, they're still sometimes unable to respect women in healthy ways. And one of my things in life and in society as a whole is that women can tell men as much as they want to respect the women in their life, but it really hits harder when there's a man.
1: Well, my father always told us, remember that we all came from a woman and it's important that we hold them in the highest regard because they are really the ones that carry on life. I mean, so if we don't have women in society, our society will stop, will stop, you know, will stop growing. And like my father always told me, even when a woman does something to you, you're a bigger, stronger individual as a male. And it's very cowardly to strike back at someone doing something to you unless you are defending yourself and then that's the only time it would come into play. But again, when it comes to words and, you know, saying things to them and trying to belittle them or things like that, that was never something that we ever did because it's not right to do that to people, especially women where they have, women have things going on a lot themselves, like trying to stay with their own selves, with their own uh, sex and their own gender and, you know, trying to have to worry about, looking perfect all the time. And I, I did a speaking job back at Penn State College at the end of last year. And I remember talking to the girls in the audience, I uh, asked them a question. I said, how many of you young ladies feel so much pressure just to, when you leave the house, you have to look perfect. Like you have to have the makeup and the hair and, this, and all of them raised their hand. And I said, that's not realistic because we as guys don't have that. So I learned at a young age that women have enough to deal with from their own self, trying to always deal with their own insecurity and trying to always come across perfect in society just to always respect them at the highest level and continue just to, uh, to do just that.
0: And you have two daughters. Is that, that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: So, in terms of you've you've seen the struggle that they go through in terms of filling that perfection or those so societal standards. I'm really interested in how you are raising them to to either look beyond that or have the the self assurance and and self esteem to kind of battle some of those those perfectionists, some of those societal norms.
1: What I tell my daughters all the time, especially my sixteen year old, my five year old still you know kind of coming up. I tell my sixteen year old, it's all about doing things to make you happy. You don't worry about what your male friends think or your female friends are trying to always look perfect. And I'm very lucky that my 16-year-old has a very good group of girl friends that are a lot like her. They're not into all this you know, mean girl stuff or this talking about each other and all this other type of things. And with my daughter, we just try to give her the ability to do things, have friends over or go places. We don't want her to feel constricted or feel that she can't grow up. They do things in life for the betterment of themselves, not for a person or a guy or a female friend. If it fits what you want to do, then you pursue it. Otherwise, don't worry about it. If you get around to it, then you get around to it.
0: And how important do you think that message is coming from a man in their life? I know like... Sometimes we'll hear things from our father or that we kind of take for granted, but if we hear it from our mother about women, we take it seriously. So what do you think is the the perspective of, of having those that combination of both a male and father tell their daughters about how to either be a woman or respect themselves or interact with men?
1: It's absolutely primary and it's so important because what I've learned and what I've seen is when you have daughters, they get date a guy- like that, that's respecting them and going to hold them in the highest regard and going to be there and treat them the right way. So I really feel it's so important that uh, young women have male figures, their fathers, stepfathers, whatever the case may be, pouring into them positivity because then they'll know that's what they need to accept or they won't take anything less from a guy that they're dating because if they see some type of habit red flag early on, they can move on. And I think that's where a lot of people today in society, women who sometimes date men who may not be the best for them, it could be, not always, it could be they didn't have that male figure giving them that positivity or pouring into them that real reassurance that no matter how they feel about themselves, they are good enough.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting because I've always found that the absent father is such a, is probably one of the most toxic things to society whenever people ask me what is one thing that you would change in the world i always say i would get rid of unhappy families now that doesn't mean that i would take away divorce But I would take away an environment in which a child is raised in toxic, unhealthy ways where they're not getting the both of their father and their mother or their family as a whole. Because I have a lot of female friends who have grown up without their fathers and they see, you know, they see themselves not worthy of love. They see themselves not worthy of a man who shows that attention or their idea of marriage is broken down. And I'm not like, I am not someone who's like the institution of marriage is a hundred percent Correct, but I, I believe in this the idea of you know having that one person for life. It d- doesn't always work in your first try, but once you're together you you stick it out. Like that's kind of what my parents have raised me with. But if you're from a home in which that isn't the case, or you're from a home where you don't see that father figure, you don't have the pouring in of love from from both genders to kind of warn you or, or prepare you for the world. I've seen the damage it can do with, with my young female friends. So, you know, why don't you kind of touch on some of those ideas there? I, I don't really have a question to ask, but I'm I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on that
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, broken homes, you don't want people to live in a society or an environment where it's an unhealthy relationship, you know, you know mom, dad. Divorce, if, something is, if it's necessary and it's, it's, it's what has to be done, has to be done. But I would like to always have it where the father figure, or both parents for that matter, would still be able to have equal time with the children. Because again, that is a big thing. I agree. I mean, I really wonder how my brother and I would have turned out without our father, you know, because our mom wasn't, well, she was fine, but she wasn't like the hands-on, let me teach you how to be a male, let me teach you things parent. She was more the friend, We're easy part of the job, like the, you know, the non-gritty, you No, know, you know, we had real problems or school issues or issues with, you know, the others, uh, with the opposite sex, you know, she wasn't there for that. She was just there to be our friend, you know, buy us what we want, nice gifts, things like that. And my dad, was the reason that I feel my brother and I have turned out the way we are. Because, again, somebody made a post about our position. Offensive linemen make great husbands and fathers because their job is to protect quarterbacks, running backs, the offense. That makes a lot of sense. And that is exactly how we were raised, to protect people, fight for people who couldn't fight for themselves, stand up for people, uh, male and female. And, again, that is a true point that you made that, I think if more parents, you know, could be in the child's life, even if they didn't work out as a a husband and wife, I think there would be a lot less of uh, people in society, especially young females, who feel that they're not worthy because they didn't have that father figure or that male telling them all the time how great they were. And then they would end up not having anybody at all. And then whenever they do get attention and even if it's negative to them, it's better than nothing. So I agree with you 100 percent.
0: And so I'm really fascinated by the fact that you said your mom was more like the friend. I feel like that's the role that often a lot of dads play. Is that the woman feel like the enemy and the dad kind of just comes in, he's he's like the fun guy, the fun uncle. So like what was your kind of difference there because for me, I feel like I grew up in a house that was very unique as well. My dad seems to be much more patient, loving, romantic and and like um soft-hearted, which isn't anything against my mom. My mom's like go get it. What's mine is mine. Like she has a lot more of those tendencies that you see in a male. And my dad has a lot more tendencies that I believe are seen in a female. So it's interesting there that you've kind of seen a different kind of role reversal in the sense of your mom was the nice, nice lady that came in that was the friend. So what's your experiences with that? And and how do you think that affected a lot of your growing up or your image of women growing up?
1: Well, again, it was my image of women growing up was, you know, it took me a while to trust women in the beginning when I was growing up because my mom was in and out, in and out, in and out. And it caused a lot of unhealthy relationships early in my, you know, in my young adulthood, you know, between the age of 21 to probably like 28 in that that seven-year range. It was like if someone didn't show up or abandon me, like, oh, this is, this is what I'm used to. So I would just cut it off. And I remember with my wife, we had our first argument. This is 2013. We had our first disagreement. And I remember telling her, OK, I guess we're done now. I guess we're breaking up. And she looked at me like, what? I like, yeah, I'm not used to this. I guess we're going to break up now. She said, no, we've had a disagreement. This is called a real a relationship. We're going to work through it, and we're going to move forward. And I said, huh? I mean, I've never had that happen before. I was always, well, okay, we have an issue. Goodbye. And that's something because of the way I was raised and, you know, my mom being in and out of my life. But the way I always respected women, I never lied to people. I never tried to, you know, belittle them. I was always a good individual towards women because that's how it was raised with my father. My dad said, you know what, your mom's not here. That's what it is. It's fine. She's not here and you have to just, you know, deal with it. And I said, okay, no problem. And I learned that.
0: Yeah. And so I do think that is very interesting. And so, so in terms of communication and relationships, you know, I have that a lot, too, where it is a learning process of, of how you communicate healthily in relationship, relationships. Do you see that as a bigger issue now? Do you see that as an issue that's kind of always existed? And how can young people like myself get better at communication and relationships?
1: Communication is all about people's ability to have healthy dialogue without the other feeling that they're going to be judged. So what I tell people all the time is if you're with someone who's young and you're having trouble communicating, learn how to listen more and talk less. And if someone's speaking, hear them out. Because a lot of times when disagreements or or they're tired, they're not able to have their whole thought process, you know, outspoken. And I used to be that way. You know, I used to be like not really good to listen and not good to comprehend. And as I got older and wiser, I realized that if I'm talking to somebody and they're trying to get thought out and I cut them off, then they're probably going to get up getting upset, frustrated. And they're going to stop communicating with me, and that's what happens. When people stop communicating with each other, that's exactly when. <laughs> bad things start to arise because if you're not talking to someone and having that dialogue that you really have no idea where you stand. So I just try to tell young people who are having struggling with communication skills, learn to listen more, talk less, and also learn to make your point known and be concise. Don't drag it out trying to hold the mic and do all the talking. Make your point and then let somebody rebut to that point.
0: Yeah, I think I struggle with everything you just said. Uh it's funny cuz a lot of my friends say that I like to I like to talk, I like to hear this out of my own voice, which is probably true, I think like it is something i I struggle with is listening, but I feel like I also am am like very unselfish with my time. and in terms of I want to spend quality time with people, I want to learn who they are. I want to understand them at a deeper level. but I also and I ask questions to get there, but at the same time, I'm not very good at the comprehension aspect of a lot of of what you just said. i'm not I'm not normally coming across with trying to figure out an answer rather than listening to them for what they're saying. and I'll try to come up with a response when sometimes they don't need a response. But in terms of, communication. You know, I think what you said, was there's a lot of truth in that. And I've always said to people, especially people that I get really uncomfortable sharing things is, I want you to know that I don't know if my feelings are right, but I know that they're valid. And that's what I don't, that's what I want you to understand is that right now, this is how I feel. I'm not saying that you have to agree with how I feel, but they're valid. And and let's talk those through.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's exactly correct. I mean, Like Steve Jobs said it best. His hardest job at Apple was creating an inclusive environment where his trusted leaders could express themselves without fear of being judged or their thoughts and opinions not being validated. So it's not easy. No one ever said it was. And what you have to learn to do is is hear people out without forming an opinion and just hear them out in general and then let whatever you feel you want to say back Learn that some things that you might want to say back may be needed, but might not really be necessary. Does that make sense? Like that person may need to really hear it, but they may not be in a position to hear it and really well receive it. And then all you're doing is talking to someone who's literally just shutting you out.
0: I really like that uh, idea between just because it's needed doesn't mean it's necessary, or, or you have to figure out a different time to do it. I had a pretty like big conversation with one of my friends this week regarding work stuff, and... I felt like it was a very, so there was a moment earlier in the week where I thought that it was uh, needed, but I didn't have it then because I'm like, this isn't, I don't think we're in the right frame of mind to do it now. So I had it later in the week and I felt like a lot went a lot better. It was in person rather than over text, which I enjoy a lot more, but I've never thought about that whole idea of it's needed, but just maybe it's not necessary right now. I like that.
1: That's right. And that's because I, I remember being owning my construction company and people trying to tell me things I need to hear, but it wasn't necessary at the time to tell me because at that time I wasn't listening. So there was times, it's just like, you got me after like what a really bad day or clients was giving me hassle, even know, it's needed. It's not necessary that the time that I'm not gonna
0: hear. And in regards to your construction company, I, I what did the failure of your construction company teach you about where you are now in regards to communication, in regards to you know spending time with your family, in regards regards to success? Like you, I believe your slogan is "I talk about failure so that you don't have to," or or something something kind of similar to that. I'm probably butchering it a bit, but kind of Why don't you talk about that slogan and that motto that you have for yourself?
1: So my slogan is is that I talk about failure uh, to help other people succeed. So basically, I I talk about failure so you can succeed where I failed. That's what I do with my career. And when I had my construction business, what happened was I ended up becoming a really horrible boss and I stopped listening. So today in my career, if someone has an opinion, I always hear them out. And if we don't agree, we'll have a discussion, healthy dialogue to come up with the right conclusion. But my construction business, I did not do that. If you didn't listen to me or come around and do things my way, you were gone. So I would fire you. So today, it's all about dialogue. It's all about intellect. It's all about communication. i like that with my wife. I'm like that with my daughters. I'm like that with my team members. Um, from my social media strategist to my website designer, to our brand ambassador to our speaking agents, you know, to everyone, and I don't expect people to just roll out the red carpet every time I speak today if they don't agree with something, I expect them to say it, and they know that I'm not going to judge them whatsoever.
0: I think that's really fantastic, and I love that that motto that you have for your business. I remember reading it, I'm like, this is great in regards to the failure of a lot of young men, what do you see as the biggest reason or biggest kind of pain point for a lot of the people? I know you speak to a lot of people. What is something that a lot of those individuals, that especially men, talk to you about of what they struggle with in their life, like the pain point?
1: The biggest pain point they struggle with is letting go of the ship, like letting go of being the captain of the ship. And that's unfortunate because nobody is going to be able to do everything so if you're someone who cannot put yourself in a position where you're able to let go of, you know, some things that it comes to the business and make decisions and let your team help you with that. So that's a lot of men that I've run across in business sometimes or in coaching or in speaking is that they want to have success, but they're sometimes struggling with how to let go, you know, let go of the steering wheel and somebody else drive the car. There's so much wanting to be, and I used to be like that with my construction business, like my way or the highway, that's how I was. And today we don't have that issue because it's all about who can come to the table with the right thought process and the right expertise. It's not about my way or the highway. I don't believe in that anymore.
0: And do you think that, so a lot of what you just kind of described there is a lot of pride. And do you see that that letting go? Yeah, ego. So do you think there's healthy ego and unhealthy ego? I'm I'm really fascinated by that because obviously you need ego to almost survive and thrive in the NFL or sports. Like that's kind of what it's seen as. You need, you need that ego. You need that pride to believe you're the best. Do you think it's necessary or healthy the way that a lot of men show it or emphasize it?
1: No, absolutely not. Because you never want to have an ego. I don't care who you are. An ego will open you up to failure. You need to be confident in your abilities to get work and things accomplished. You should be able to keep confidence when you need it. Like if you're an athlete playing a football game, you're a speaker on stage. If you're you know, in a situation with work, be confident to get your job done, get that task accomplished, move on. But if you have confidence every single day, every single moment, every single minute, You're what's called an egomaniac. And eventually your ego will open to failure because the minute you start thinking that you know everything and you're always right is the minute that, you know, bad things start to happen. Trust me, as someone who was an egomaniac in his construction business right before it went down, I can tell you exactly that was the demise of our of our organization.
0: How do you think, or how do you kind of advise young men or, or men to get over that pride? Like, I know you mentioned that, you know, it's about riding the ship and, and kind of loosening those, that, um, that control, but like, what are some tangible things that young men and men could do in their lives to work at that every day?
1: Every day, just learn how to be confident, but also learn how to come back down to reality. It's really a never ending battle and you have to be aware of until you can master it where you're learning how to be confident and then back to normal, come back to normal. But when you're starting out in business, a lot of people can't do that because they are so mesmerized by early success. They forget to continue to work hard to sustain that success. So the big thing they can be doing is just really working on, you know, back and forth and always being able to keep it high and then turn it off, keep it high and turn it off. That way they're not continuing to do it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, so before I ask you kind of what you got going in, on in your life, with your book, and your speaking, I always end the, the kind of interview with three questions, the same three questions every single time. So the first one is, what is one thing that your father told you, and you've, you've kind of gone over a lot of different things, but what's the one piece of advice your father told you and gave you that you use every day in your life?
1: Always respect everybody you come into contact with.
0: And then the second question is, what is one thing you wish your father told you that would have helped you in your life a lot younger?
1: I wish he would have told me that just because you're having early success doesn't mean you, can, you get mesmerized by it. That was one of my big problems.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And then the third question is, what is one piece of advice that you want to pass down to future generations?
1: Always be accountable for your actions. A lot of people don't aren't accountable for their actions.
0: Yeah. So so kind of going off of that, what do you what why do you think accountability is so important?
1: Because you have to take ownership of your life, good, bad, or indifferent. And most of the time when things go bad in people's lives, what happens is they look for somebody to pass the blame onto. And that is exactly what happened to me with my construction business. And that's when I started to when I stopped blaming other people, that's my life got better.
0: Yeah. Fantastic, and I think a lot of life comes to accountability, and that's something I struggle with all the time as well. You definitely had the the most concise answers I've I've ever heard of all my guests, so I definitely know that you're a practiced speaker. It really shows, so I enjoy that. I wasn't used to having like a, a one sentence answer to those last questions. Normally, it's the, that those ten minutes, like they take up five, six, seven minutes, just because people are like, oh, you know, so they go into so many things. So I, I really appreciate the the conciseness, and and definitely tell you can you you know what you're talking about, but you know the last question you know you have uh you have a little bit of your story you have a little bit of a, you're an author you're a speaker so why don't you kind of tell us what you're up to in your life on a day-to-day basis
1: so right now i'm a keynote speaker executive coach and I'm a best-selling author one of my books i have right here is the success cycle it talks about three major things that you need to have to have success in your life ambition drive and hard work ambition is the ability to, to set your goals and create a blueprint for your success Drive is about having the inspiration to always push forward and break out of your comfort zone into your breakthrough zone. And then hard work is focusing on yourself and not the competition. So right now, speaking for big organizations, Fortune 500 clients, 150, you know, retail, food service, corporate, schools, universities. And I'm all about just helping my clients with whatever the topic is so that their audiences can achieve success.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And where can they find this book? Is it available in Canada as well?
1: It is. It's available online. You can go to Amazon online, Barnes Noble online. and in every Barnes Noble bookstore across the country and Canada as well.
0: Perfect. And where can they find you on social media?
1: They can find me on Instagram. It's at Marcus Ogden, M-A-R-Q-E-S-O-G-D-E-N. LinkedIn, Marcus Ogden, Facebook, Marcus Ogden. And my Twitter is at Marcus underscore Ogden. And my website is www.MarcusOgden.com
0: beautiful. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the Imperfect Podcast. It was great having you, and I look forward to your future success and and keeping up with you on LinkedIn. I'm going to make sure I buy this book, and I want to make sure that everyone else does too, and I'll include links of where you can buy it in the description of this episode. But Marcus, thank you so much for joining, sharing your story, and uh, I look forward to staying in contact.
1: Appreciate it, man. Have a great day, Luke.
0: Yeah, you too. Thank you everyone for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Marcus Ogden. You can find Marcus on Instagram at Marcus Ogden, on LinkedIn at Marcus Ogden, on YouTube at Marcus Ogden, and on his uh, website, Marcus Ogden. Dot .com If you enjoyed the episode please leave a review on iTunes or message me on Instagram at the imperfect pod or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You know, I really think Marcus talked a lot about his journey in sports and as a businessman and how that affected his fathership style and how that, you know, being bankrupt affected him as a man and now he's using that to teach other men and business leaders to not make the same mistakes. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned and let's pull the world of intentional and purposeful conversations and thank you again to my editor matt mcclelland for all of his hard work editing the podcast he's been doing the last few and will be my editor in the coming episodes as well so huge shout out to him he's been such a good support for me and really helping me out a lot in this time so yeah everyone say thanks to matt for me as well cheers